Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So we're starting a series today at the movies. Now why would we take movies... Why would we take some of these secular movies that have cuss words and stuff in there that we don't condone, right? Um, why, why would we take these, these mediums and say, God, speak to us through them? Honestly, because think about it, 210 million people last year went to see a movie in the theater. $11.9 billion was spent at home and online on watching movies, at least 85% of, of, of you here are regularly watching movies or TV shows where 16% of the United States goes to church regularly. So here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Every television is a teacher. Every movie is a messenger. Most people are getting their theology from the theater. They're, it's shaping their views, their doubts, and their beliefs. This is not good or bad. It's just a reality that we have in our country. Andrew Fletcher said said this, Give me the making of the songs of a nation, and I care not who writes its laws. Basically, what he's saying is, is if you give us arts, we can influence people more by the arts instead of by its laws. And we know it's true. What do most of our generation have in their ears walking down the street? They've got songs. It's influenced. They, they are not listening to the Bill of Rights. They're listening to Meek Mill. Okay, they're, they're, they're listening to things and it's shaping the way they think about themselves, God, and culture. And here's the deal. If a picture is worth a thousand words, imagine what a movie can communicate. Our goal was to uncover the spiritual themes in the most popular Movies. We want to decode these relevant culture shapers and unpack the truth behind these big screen teachers. And the first movie that we're going to check out today is the Avengers Endgame. Any fans here of Avengers? Man, th- this is the highest grossing film of all time. Flat out. Avengers Endgame is the highest grossing film of all time. Now, you got to know something about your boy here. I'm not a comic book guy. So this message was a particular stretch for me. Because when I said I'm going to preach about about Avengers Endgame, your boy had to go and watch them. <laughs> and just know, I felt it's like I am a sports movie. I am more of kind of a real-life documentary, real-life story, and, and stuff like that. Like, getting me into a sci-fi thing, that, that, that's why Star Wars, Star Trek, comic books is such a stretch for me because I, I'm just like, it's fake. Like, what? But, but then, you know, some people like, like that. Me, I'm like, I want real. <laughs> like, I want a real story or something. Or something like that is just that is just my personality. So here's something right. I had to go back and actually watch them and check them out. And here's the thing, right? So I saw Avengers for the first time in April, and this is what I posted as my Facebook post when I was done. The the first one is up on the screen here on the left. It says, So I saw Endgame last night. I only fell asleep twice. I actually enjoyed it though, but not sure why why everybody cried. Kristen said, if I know the whole story that I would have asked. Kristen, or if I, if I would have, or I asked Kristen this morning, why, why wasn't Wolverine in it? <laughs> Apparently that's DC Comics. Like, y'all just see how clueless your boy was. Some of y'all right now are twitching. You're like, 
oh my God, like this, this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. And then here's the thing, right? I had people in this church joking on me. Mary Dawn, our producer right here. She said, should have bought a Honda. Instead, I'm gonna pray for you. Which is like Facebook speaking in tongues. Right? And then Thaddeus, like, here's the thing, right? It's, it's, I, I was absolutely clueless about the whole comic book, about the whole comic book of Avengers. So I had to go back and watch it. And I tell you what, I actually got into it now that I actually know the story. And here's the thing, here's the thing. as I was watching it, following it, and doing research on it, it got me thinking, what do we do when all hope seems lost and the end is near? What do we do? Here's the thing, right? At the end of Infinity Wars, it's kind of like the movie ends, and you're like, well, that was depressing. It's like, uh, I thought these guys were supposed to come and save the day. I thought that they're the superheroes. They're supposed to come and, and, and save us, and they're the ones that are supposed to bring hope and justice and peace. And here's the thing. What we ultimately see in Avengers Endgame is that they find a way combining back to the future with comic books, right? They, they, they kind of did time travel, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Uh, but here's the thing, right? They do time travel. They, they come back and they get things the way that it was supposed to ultimately, de- to ultimately, de- to ultimately be. But here's the thing, right? Uh, what I feel and the question that we need to actually look at with this film is what do we do when all hope seems lost and the end is near? And I don't know about you, but it kind of feels that way on earth right now. It just feels like we're so like... Think, like we're acting like everything's good and everything's great and we're, we got this abundance and we've got, you know, a lot of material abundance and the economy's decent. We've got all these things, but it just feels like our earth is so sensitive that it's, that, that it's, it's, it's kind of like everyone's just on edge waiting for things to fall apart. Here's the thing, right? I kind of feel like as a planet earth, even as a country here, the things we thought would ultimately save us what we thought would be superheroes, things like politics and politicians, military power, pills, power and success have only failed us and right now we are sitting here grasping and it feels like each country nation is just trying to build up enough military power to, so, to be stronger than someone else so ultimately at the end we can survive. I mean, it just feels just on edge. Now, here's it. Whenever we talk about the end of the world, that's where you get the conspiracy theorist, right? Where it's kind of like, well, you know, and then too, no one has, no one has done this more, unfortunately, than Christians. Have you ever heard Christians talk about the end of the world? Christians have jumped on, 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 on this train. They've taken the book of Revelation and they've, you know, and, you know, the, the talks about what the end is going to ultimately be like. And it really almost feels like people have, have taken that and almost tried to monetize the book of Revelation. Where they said, these horrible things are coming, therefore, you should buy this food supply. Like y'all, like y'all can actually look this up. There are food, there, there are end of time food supplies sold by Christians saying the end of the world's coming, so you need food. And here's the thing, they're monetizing off of it. But the bottom line is this, y'all. Revelation is the final book of the Bible that, the, 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 yes, the Apostle John, he had a 
revelation that the, he ended up writing, writing down and saying, this is what I am seeing God say, and I'm going to ultimately write it down. And Christians over generations, years, have, have tried to interpret what John was actually saying. And here's the thing. The incredible thing is Christians, like a lot of Christians disagree on what the book of Revelation actually says. You've got some people who think, well, the rapture's going to come this time. The rapture's coming coming." coming at that time. The rapture is going to happen after, you know, after we go through trials. It's going to come before we go through trials. There's 144,000, the bowls of wrath, the four horsemen, like all of these things. And it's just like, wow, like what in the world is going on? Elaine Page said this. She said, the book of Revelation is the strangest book in the Bible and the most controversial. Instead of stories and moral teaching, it offers us only visions, dreams, and nightmares. But what you've seen Christians do is they've taken this, but people have a curiosity about the, the end times, right? People want to know, like, what the heck's going on. So here's the thing, right? I think Christians have almost, have, have almost taken people's curiosity, and they're intrigued for the book of, Re- of Revelation, and turned it into a quite lucrative business, right? Here's the thing, right? I know me growing up, my mom made me watch this set of four rapture movies. I don't know if we could throw those up there. A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder, Image of the Beast, and A Product of Planet. Freaked me out. I'm watching this. I get done watching them. I want to get saved. Like, I don't want to get my head chopped, chopped, chopped off. Like, I was like, I don't want to be here for this crazy rapture. I, I, I just, I want to be gone. But honestly, it freaked me out. Think about this, the 12 books, Left Behind series. It was this really popular movie series back in the mid-2000s sold 80 million copies, 80 million. A gentleman by the name of Edgar Wisenhunt wrote a book in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Oops, saith God. Well, whenever, he, whenever Jesus didn't come back in 1988, he wrote a book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. Well, when that didn't happen, he took a few years off and then wrote a book, 93 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1993 and tried one more attempt in 1994. Then I think everyone just said, you're dumb. But this is what he said, right? He said, this is what he said. He said, only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. And if there was a king in this country and I could gamble my life, I would stake my life on September 11th through the thir- or September 13th, 1988. Here's the thing, right? Whenever you start talking about end times and people, they start predicting the end of the world. You know, just remember 2K, right? Like 2K, computers were going to all go bonkers. It's like, here's the thing. We have two responsibly. You bunker down and store food, ammo, guns. You get into like, you know, freak out mode or you just live it up. Well, we're going to die anyway. So let's just eat, drink, be merry, sleep with whoever you want. Who cares? I'm not going to watch what I eat. The environment, like, let's, let's just... Let's just live it up. The world's going to die anyway. It's going to burn up anyway, anyway. And here's the thing. I don't think either of those two ways are right when we think about the end times. Because honestly, Scripture gives us instructions on how we are to live when all seems hope, when all seems lost, and when it feels like it is the end times. Let me just tell you this. One out of 30 verses in the Bible talk about the second coming of Christ or the end times. 216 chapters... And actually, 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the end times. But you're saying every generation thought that they were living in the end times. Every generation felt that. 
And here's the thing, the Bible isn't specifically clear on when the end will come and when, and when Jesus will, will come back. Do you know Jesus even said, I don't know? Like Jesus himself said, I don't know the day or the hour, but my father does. And whenever he says go, I'm going to go. So why are we trying to predict? Why are we trying to figure out something that even Jesus hasn't figured out? Here's the thing. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, and, and, and this is applying to the Israelites, but also, too, I think this can apply to us and give us a principle about God. Here, here it says. It says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. And in other words, there's going to be things about God that we're not going to know. And if there are things about God that you, are, that you aren't okay without knowing, if you knew everything, you would be God. But you say, you're not God. So God doesn't expect you to know everything, but he expects you to be accountable for what has been revealed. And what we see revealed in Scripture is the fact that we are living in the last days. Scripture in clearly states that after Jesus died, that is when the last days started counting down. So it's clear, right? Here's the thing, right? As Christians, we need to focus on what is clear, not on what is unclear. We can fight all day and argue all day, and Christians have done this. They, got, they get doctorates, and they argue about the times and the dates and the bowls, and they start making rapture charts, you know, where it's just like, when Jesus come back? And here's the thing. Those are all good and fine if that's your thing. But at the same time, what if we took the time we go into trying to figure out what is unclear and put it to actually what is clear, and that is love each other and help change the city, right? Whereas it's like, look, and here's the thing. I'm not saying it's not bad, but we do know we're in the last times. So I think it's more important for us to say, how should we live in the last days since we know it's the last days? How should we live our lives practically and spiritually now? And that is today what I want to encourage you with is how to live in these end days because the Bible is clear. The first point's this. Number one, we need to live alert. Live alert. In other words, don't be on autopilot. Understand what days we're in. Like, don't just... Go with the flow of what everyone else is doing, saying, as a Christian, you need to live alert. And actually, Scripture says this, live sober-minded. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. This was Paul addressing a church he planted that was asking him questions about the end times. So Paul dealt with this, and this is what Paul said. He said, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write you. That's what Paul said. Like, we don't know, dude. Church in Thessalonica, we don't know. So we're not going to preach. We're not going to write a book you know, 67 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in AD 67, right? It's like, we just don't know. But he, but he says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. It says, but you brothers and sisters are not in the darkness so that this day should be a surprise to you like a thief. You are all children of God, all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, alert to what day, like have your eyes open, live woke. Like don't be naive to what's going on, fam. First Peter 4, 7 says this here, the end of all, so what I'm saying, that was Paul, this is Peter. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober-minded. Some of y'all, that's y'all's word for today, sober-minded. Minded, so that you may pray. 
1 Peter 5.8 says this here. Be alert and of sober mind. Why? You have an enemy. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I can just hear Paul and Peter shouting at us, know what story you're living in. Know what times you're living in. Don't, see, here's the thing. This is why I love the Bible. It's because I believe why, here's the thing. Why I believe the Bible is ultimately true is because I, be, I, I believe it is the most honest, transparent, and true about the human condition. This reads people like no, one, like no other book. Where here's the bottom line, right? Here's the thing. The story of, of Scripture, God created people, put them in this beautiful garden. Adam even said, have your pick, choose, choose. But there's going to be some things that are off limits. Don't go to that. Well, what do you know? Adam and Eve, Satan comes and tempts them and tempts them with the one thing that God said no. Isn't that our lives? God gives us freedom and blessings, but the typically we're drawn to, to the things that God says no to. And, and, and guess what they do? They end up taking the bait. Their relationship with God and each other is broken. And what you see, a story right after that is, is Cain and Abel, where you see Cain ends up killing his brother because there was, because there was sin between them. There, were, there was brokenness between them. And then we ultimately see throughout the Old Testament just these stories of nations warring against different nations, and there's fighting, and there's killing, and there's murdering, and there's just insane stuff. And then we get to this point where it's like, we need a savior, because the world, God already destroyed it once with the flood. It says they were so wicked. And then he, he let it flourish once again. But men do what men do when they are in charge. They seek and destroy each other. They, 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 uh, they start labeling people. And they, there's, there starts to be any, in, in, inequality. And you start using people as slave labor to build what country you want, right? Like, I just think, right, you can just see that's what happens when people are in charge of themselves and they don't have an authority greater than them. See, so then you think it comes to this point in the four gospels where then you, you have, you know, and that's what the four gospels are. They are a biography, a personal account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John seeing the, seeing Jesus in the, in the flesh. And what we see, Jesus comes, right? Sin is what has brought death and destruction from here on in. And, and what we see Jesus doing is living a perfect, sinless life that we could not live, dying on the cross in our place and for our sin, dying the death you should have died in, in your place. But since Jesus did not sin, and sin is what ultimately brings, brings death, when he physically died, it could not hold his physical life down. So what did Jesus do? He rose from the dead and defeated Satan, hell, and the grave and won victory and, and actually says this here. He defeated death, your greatest enemy, our greatest enemy. What are we all striving to not have happen to us? Die. And what did Jesus do? He beat death. There, therefore, all, all people, he came in like a superhero and said, look, I know you can't save, save yourself. I know you're messed up and jacked up and you're trying to do it on your own, but you can't do it. You have to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you. And here's the crazy thing. He gives you life, not because you've earned it, but he gives you life because of what he did in, in your place. He gives it to you freely as an act of grace because you can't earn it and you simply receive it by grace through faith, saying basically how you are saved is I can't save myself, I need help. Flat, flat out. And what we see here is that because of our sin and rebellion against God, it wasn't just Adam and Eve, because Adam and Eve are simply a picture of us telling God I'm good. Here's, 
Here's the funny thing, right? Today, or uh, last Thursday, I was in a, a counseling session with this guy, and this guy isn't a Christian, and I was trying to explain to him the, the gospel, and I was trying to explain to him the good news and how we are sinful and rebellious in and of ourselves to what God wants. And I was trying to explain it to him, and I could tell he really wasn't getting it. But, but he's all right. He had his three-year-old kid in there with him. And his three-year-old kid started doing something that he wasn't supposed to be doing. And so the father said, hey, man, don't stop doing that. And the three-year-old, no lie, looked back at him, gave him these eyes, and said, no. I said, that's the gospel, dude. That is you. That is you, man. You just made my example for me. Here's the thing. Your three-year-old who you created, who you made, who you know knows what is better for him, he's going to do something that's going to ultimately lead to his destruction. This three-year-old thinks he knows more than his father who's 30 years old. He looks at you and says, no, that was us with God. We look at the one that created us, that knows us, that knows what is best for us, and ultimately the core of our heart is, no, I'm good, I don't need you. And that is why, fam, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And and this is why the gospel, like here's the thing, all these hero stories is simply knockoffs of the gospel. I believe this, the gospel stories in our DNA and that's why we go and flood the theaters with this, because we know ultimately that's what we need. Because things aren't good. This critic, movie critic, Aaron Free said this. He says, whether it's random terrorist attacks, overpopulation, rising crime rates, the threat of financial collapse, the mental hangover of the global financial crisis, prejudice, ignorance, infectious killer viruses, or just traffic congestion, our world is in constant knife edge. And in troubled times, people enjoy escapism and perhaps secretly wish that there were superheroes around to hose down all the horrors of, of the world. You know it's true. Inside of your heart, you desire a uh, a hero, someone to come in and say, let's right all of the wrongs. Let's come in and let's see good win. We don't want to see bad win. We want to see good win. That's why we all get excited and happy when the superheroes come in and save the day. Because, y'all, I'm telling you, it's in our DNA. The gospel story is the, the, the yearn of our hearts is the gospel story to be saved and to have the right wrongs and brought into a place of peace and joy, of love and of forgiveness. So what I would say and what I believe to Paul and Peter, which I know the story you're living in, don't be asleep to what's going on. Be alert and awake to the story you are living in so you can respond the right way. He says, be alert and, and sober. Why? So you can pray. Be alert and sober so you can know the work of the devil and what he's trying to do. So fam, live alert. Secondly, live wisely. In these last days, how do we need to live? Live wisely. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 tells us this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. And basically what that, and basically the context here is because the days are short. I recognize this. We live different with what we have less of. We're more wise with what we have less of. And I believe that sometimes we live frivolously and, and, and unwise because we wrongly think we've got a lot of time. When let's just be candid, you don't know when you're going to take your last breath. 
And that's why I believe scripture implores us, be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because you don't know when you're going to take your last breath. There's this incredible scripture in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says this here. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. In other words, teach me and show me how short my life is so I will act in wisdom. And let me tell you all, wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is living with the right priorities and realizing that life is short and real rearranging your life and your priorities around the fact of you don't know when your last breath is. You know, in this culture, it's crazy to hear so many people struggling with anxiety and depression and stress and worry and how we have a culture of abundance, never been more materially and physically blessed than any country, yet we are more hooked and and, and, uh, and addicted to things that we try to numb the pain with. Whether it's, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pills, sex, we try to numb the pain that we're living in. And do you know what the crazy thing is? Jesus, when he was speaking about the end times in Luke chapter 21, actually predicts this. Let me show it, show it to you. Luke, Luke chapter 21, verse 34, it says this. This is Jesus talking. And, and what, in the context here is Jesus talking about the, the end times. He says this, be, be careful that you never allow your hearts to grow cold. Remain passionate and free from anxiety and the worries of this life. Then you will not be caught off guard by what happens. Don't let me come and find you drunk or careless and living like everyone else. He said this, your heart in, in the final days will try to weigh you, will try to make you anxious. Because, you know, and really I believe a huge part of that is because we're, we are trying to stretch ourselves so thin we have nothing else left. Think about how crazy our schedules are. We can't even put into our schedule what ultimately matters most. Like some of you here today cannot, cannot even spend a night at home with your kids for, for dinner because you're here toiling your life towards what you think ultimately matters and what they ultimately care about. And what they could ultimately care about is you having presence with them. Some of you here today, you need to adjust your schedule and start caring about what ultimately matters and pouring yourself into what ultimately matters. You're working yourself to the bone and completely ne neglecting your health, your walk with God, time with your family, and time to invest in the community. And some of us say, it's just the season, John. Yeah, well, the season's been 20 years. Because honestly, I think the problem is, is that we have this desire in our hearts that we just think, if I get this, if I just do that, then I'll be happy. And it's a lie from the enemy. Your true freedom and your true hope and your true joy will be found in God's presence and abidance with him. Live alert, live wisely. Thirdly, live victorious. Live victorious. I believe, here's the thing, right? If you want to sum up Revelation, you want to sum the whole book up, right? You just want to say, John, give me a sum, a sum account of this book, this confusing book. Ready? Jesus wins. You want to sum up the book of Revelation with its bowls of wrath, 144,000, thriving horsemen, all of those things. When you get to the very end, do you know what you see? Jesus wins. So Jesus is victorious. And I believe, here's, here's, the, here's the thing, that we need to live in light of Jesus' already victory. Because we don't live for victory, we live from victory. Let me say that one, let me say that one more time. 
Maybe the side will hear me. We don't live for victory. We live from victory. Meaning we interpret every experience that happens in our lives through the already victorious Christ. Which, which just means this. You win. And the crazy thing is, because Jesus defeated death, even if you die, you win. Where that's kind of sadistic, where Christians, their biggest win comes from them dying. Because why? This body is simply a seed, Bible says. And here's the thing. A seed can't come to life unless it dies. And here's the thing. Jesus was the greatest example of that. Jesus could not bring life unless he died. We can't have our completely fulfilled, resurrected bodies living with Jesus until this thing goes. And that's why Paul, I love Paul's confidence and boldness. We wonder, how did Paul accomplish so much? Paul said this. He said this about himself. He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me tell you what Paul was actually saying there. I can't lose. He said, yeah, you want to, if you leave me here alive, I'm going to be doing stuff for the kingdom. And it's going to be good. You kill me? Well, guess what? I get the goal of doing all this work. It's to be with Jesus. So to live is Christ and to die is gain, meaning... I can't lose. What if we had a generation of Christians walking and living and saying, I can't lose and interpreting everything that happens in your life through the filter and lens of you have already won. So even if you might lose a few battles, you don't lose the war. Some of y'all need to hear that today. You feel like you're losing, you're losing, you're losing, you're losing. And do you know what? All of those losses don't add up to the ultimate battle that has already been won by Jesus because of his resurrection and his defeat of death. Your greatest enemy was death. Jesus took, took care of it. And here's the thing. You, if, if Christians would, would just get in their heart, mind, and soul that you've already won. I I believe this, that ultimately, it would be what makes Christians different. We have too many depressed Christians. We have too many Christians that are, that are just, and here's the guys, life is hard and tough. And if you're struggling here, I know life is hard and tough. And y'all, trust me, you're, you're going to have battles. You're going to walk through things that are going to take you years and years and years. And here's the thing. That's why we have a church family to walk with us and encourage us and strengthen us. When we can't lift ourselves, they, they lift us up. If you struggle here, we're not putting you down. But here's the thing. What, I, what I'm encouraging you to do is to start see your struggles through the lens and filter of Jesus already being victorious. And here's what this ultimately does. Keyboarder, you can come up to keep me accountable. Ultimately, is, is that because Jesus has already, has already won, we can live with hope. We can live with hope, y'all. And honestly, you can, live without a, you, you can live without a lot of things. But show me a person that doesn't have hope. And I will show you someone that won't live for very long. Because Jesus has already won, because the victory has already won, because the battle has already been won, we can live today not with a false confidence, but with a true confidence of hope. And here's the thing, right? I know some of you here, you probably think Christianity is a crutch. Oh, these poor little Christians, they're just hopeless people, and they just need something to get themselves feel better. They just need, need, need an emotional push, so they just need to believe that some guy rose from the dead. And, you know, it's, some of y'all think Christianity is just some crutch. Christianity isn't a crutch. Ultimately, it's a hope. 
But here's the thing, it's not like Christians, because of this hope, we just put our, our heads in the sand and act like things aren't bad. We acknowledge the reality, this world is not good. We acknowledge the reality in our lives that we are messed up. We acknowledge the reality that things aren't as they are supposed to be. But here's the thing, hope is given when we interpret our current reality and the world's reality through the lens of our future hope. Where ultimately we believe that it is gonna be a superhero story. That Jesus has come once and died and died for sin and paved a way to God, and he is coming a second time. We don't know when, we don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't know, but what we do know, he's gonna come and make the wrongs right. And in your soul, in your DNA, you know that is what is supposed to happen. And why we flock to the theaters to see end end endgame and, and to see Infinity Wars and to see Black Widow and Spider-Man. It's because what do they do? They come in when all seems hopeless, when all seems lost, and they come in and save the day and our world is heading there and I believe that honestly there's going to be a Jesus is is going to come when things are at its hopeless and worse and he is going to come and make the wrongs right first Peter 1 3 through 9 tells us this these have come it says you know this is Peter says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living what hope through the resurrection of who Jesus Christ we got hope because of Jesus's Res resurrection. And it says, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are sealed by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all. So, you know, what he's saying is, yeah, you know what, guys, in this time period, we're, we're going to suffer. But then he says, these have come so that your faith, or these have come so that your faith, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, honor, and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you see this? Jesus beating death gives hope. So here's the thing. Therefore, we live not as hopeless people. We, we don't bunker down and just like, get ammo, get, get food. The end is near. How? However, we don't go and live buck wild crazy and be like, well, Jesus, you know, it's like, oh, is this, let's just live buck wild. No, do you know what we do? We focus on what is clear. That's the fact that we are in the final days and scripture encourages us how to live. We are to live alert, know what story you're in, live wisely, make the most of every opportunity, live victorious. You don't fight for victory, you fight from it. And then you live with hope because Jesus has defeated your greatest enemy and that was death. Would you stand with me, church? Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.